0: Head over to TheInforium.com slash Nebula to sign up now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show dedicated to making you a more effective student and... If you've been following the show for a while, you know that I write and make videos and podcasts about productivity a lot. There are people out there who write more and write honestly better than I do about this topic. And today I'm talking to one of them. So today on the show, I've got my friend Chris Bailey from a life of productivity and, uh, His original name for the project was A Year of Productivity, and the story behind it, which he'll get more into in the episode, in the interview, is that uh, he basically graduated college and had these two great job offers, but decided to turn both of them down because he wanted to spend an entire year learning and sharing as much as he could about productivity, about meditation, about mindfulness, and all these topics Uh, centered around building better habits and being just a more effective person. So on uh, this episode of the podcast, I bring him on and basically pick his brain to find out what he learned during that year and during the time afterwards. He's since renamed the project to a life of productivity because the initial year is over and he's continuing to write and post things on his website and actually is also writing a book, which will be coming out next year sometime. So I'm really stoked to have Chris on the podcast. And if you want to find the show notes to this episode with links to any of the things we talk about or instructions on how to subscribe and review the show, if you're so inclined, you can find those over at CIGpodcast.com. Go down to the episode 59 link and you'll find all that good stuff. So, Hey, thanks for being a listener. I don't say that enough, but seriously, thank you so much. And I hope you find this interview and the rest of the show helpful. So let's dive right in. So, Chris, welcome to my show. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna jump in before I ask you about your big old project. No. Uh, I have a brain problem. Oh, no. And maybe you can help me with it. So, have a seat.
1: Have a seat on the couch. What, what's your brain problem? Right, I will lay Talk. down. Yeah. Um, just, just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, put your feet down. Put your feet down. It's, it's okay. <laughs>
0: We're friends here. But take your shoes off. Yeah. Take your shoes off for God's sake. Suede leather. So, uh, my problem is that I would love to read lots of books. Yeah. But every time I'm reading a book and then I come across a word I don't know, mm-hmm. I have to stop and look it up. Yeah. Every time. And it makes reading very, very slow. <laughs> and as <laughs> yeah. like, now I'm, I'm Googling. Why does it make that sound when you touch a wire with your skin? <laughs> yeah, like we were talking about. <laughs> it rips my focus out. So yes, Mr. Productivity man. Yeah, how do I get that like that itch to know the definition of a word out Wh- without having to look it up? What I do whenever I read,
1: uh whether it's fiction or not fiction, is I have a notepad next to me. No, no cell phone, because that that's a rabbit hole in and of itself. It's a you know a black hole of productivity. I have a notepad whenever I read a book right right next to me. And what I do is, you know, if I I, I don't run into the word thing that we, we're probably reading different books. Right. I, I, I like to read <laughs> um you know <laughs> non-academic books. So so they talk uh, you know, in less complicated language. But you know, I think what you're you're referring to is the Zagartnik effect. I think that's how you pronounce it, where these open loops kind of grate at you until they're closed. And, and you're more likely to remember, um, you know, the things that you haven't done versus the things that you have done. And so immediately after you come across one of these words, it creates this open loop in your head that sucks up more attention than the book is sucking up. And so what happens when you put that in the notepad is you kind of close the loop temporarily because you know when you finish reading, you're going to do something with the thoughts that. you captured. Um, You know, it's actually one of the the tenets behind David Allen's whole getting things done system that the more thoughts that you externalize from your head into some sort of system that you trust, the more, uh, attentional bandwidth that you have to get through every day. And so you don't suddenly, you're not, you know, reading a book and then you think, holy shit, I have to get cat food. You're reading that book with more attentional space and letting those ideas kind of wash over you. So I, I think, yeah, just simply capturing the thoughts and knowing that you're going to do something about them later is one of the best things you can do for that.
0: Okay, cool. Does that yeah, make and sense? It does. It, it's funny like i don't know why i didn't think to do that because i tell people when they do pomodoro sessions to like keep a piece of paper next to them and write down things that distract them yeah but i hadn't thought of like i should write down the words i don't know and then come back to them later i just immediately pull my phone out and then i'm i've gotten to the point where i need a dictionary app on my home (laughs) screen and uh yeah i think if i just kept my phone away from me, then I would be forced to just write it down. And that would be, dude, whenever I
1: read my phones in the other room, say, and I'm totally disconnected. Same, same with when I write. You know, because the internet, it's this. You know, for the pleasure centers in your brain, it's this whole like arcade. It's it's the most stimulating place imaginable. You know, your fingers are are touching the keyboard and the mouse. Your ears are stimulated by whatever sounds are coming out of them. You know, your eyes are stimulated by things constantly changing on the screen in front of you. It stimulates virtually all of your senses, and so it's like crack for your for your brain's uh, limbic system, which your pleasure system sits inside of, and so you know, just disconnecting is one of the best things you can do. You know, if you're writing, if you need to hunker down on something, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to write if I was connected to the internet. I don't think.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. Uh, I have this app on my phone called forest. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. No, but it, um, it's got this thing where you plant a seed and then okay. for 30 minutes, you can't like touch your phone or do anything with it. Otherwise you'll kill the tree. Oh no. So if you want your tree to grow, you Poor have tree. to not touch your phone for 30 minutes. And I've been, I've been doing it for work, but I also, when I go to a restaurant with my girlfriend, I pull it out and I, I turn the app on and just grow a tree. Yeah. And then I never like mess with my phone and I have to talk to her
1: because I, I noticed like,
0: like we were getting in this little routine where we, we would talk at the table, but we would also like futz around with our phones. Yeah. And that's not what you go to dinner with your girlfriend for. No. <laughs> so Absolutely man, that's, not, that's no. good though. So within the first like five minutes of this podcast, uh, I've learned about, what would you call it? The Gartnick effect? I think it's called the Zgartnick effect where, where these
1: open loops kind of grate
0: on your brain throughout the day. Okay. Yeah. I will have to look that up and I think you've solved the problem for me. So another rabbit
1: hole to fall into. Oh, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) I know, right off of my couch. And every time I hear you, you're probably the exact same way as me. Every time I hear a new like term or, or effect or law of psychology, I'm like, okay, now I need to write or make a video about that.
1: (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, cool. So you did, uh, this experiment called a year of productivity. Yeah. Um, I'm not impressed. I've been doing, I'll see your 23 years of productivity. So I don't know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) So, uh, no, but I, I would love to hear like, what was, what was a year of productivity? Was it a writing project then?
1: It it was kind of an everything project, as long as it had to do with productivity. So the idea behind the project was, you know, I graduated with a business degree. I had a couple jobs when I got out the gate, but I decided, you know, if there's a time to kind of explore what I'm deeply passionate about, as weird as it might sound, uh, to be passionate about productivity, you know, some people are into normal things like, like sports and, uh, and books and books, but I'm into productivity, you know, that was the time to explore it. So that's that's exactly what I did. I, I declined those couple of jobs, and I started a year of productivity where you know I, ex- I pr- conducted productivity experiments on myself. I interviewed my favorite gurus in the productivity space. I you know, read, you know, thousands upon thousands of pages of academic research about, you know, things like the Zagartnik effect, um, and, and other ideas, uh, and books and, and all that sort of thing, just to dive as deep into this thing as I could. And like you said, you know, you have that idea that you absolutely have to write about. I had that thing, that kind of brainworm a couple hundred times during the project. So I just kept kind of cranking out what I learned over the course of the year and and shared it with, with whoever wanted to read it on the site. And, and that kind of morphed into a life of productivity
0: today where, where I uh, continue to explore it. Cool. And so was this uh, a blog project initially, or was it first just a personal thing?
1: Well, I wanted to write a book about it, you know, about this kind of project that I did, even though kind of the, the year long projects are, are a bit cliche in a way there, there's a lot of them out there. You know, I figured you know, this is, this is something that I want to write about. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a last minute decision to, you know, maybe, maybe I should write a blog about this too, about what I learned over the course of, of my journey. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of mostly a personal project to see, to kind of, Take a one-year sabbatical uh, between school and work to explore this idea that I was interested in, and you know better prepare myself for the workplace also, and and maybe write a book about it if 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 it came to that.
0: Nice. Well, dude, I actually really like the year concept. I mean, maybe maybe you think it's cliche because you've seen a lot of them. Honestly, I haven't. Oh, cool. Um, I'm I'm really, that's the thing. Like,
1: like I'm right in the middle of, of this kind of space and there's all these year long projects surrounding me, but yeah, you're probably right for the average person. It's not really, it's not really overdone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I did see, I don't know, maybe you saw the girl that learned dance in a year and no, Oh, she's really cool. She, yeah. She started from basically like no at all dance talent or instruction and then just practiced every day for a year got really good at it. And then I think she has a site like dance in a year.com or something like that. Oh, cool. Well, do you know her name offhand? Oh, I feel like it's Kristen something. Okay. But I, could, yeah, I could be totally wrong. And now yeah, I'm wrong publicly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> actually, you you know, know show notes. I, I have the internet, right? Yeah. You, yeah you have so the, the could... entire internet at your disposal <laughs> right now. I know. And she, um, launched this thing where people kind of, it's Karen. That's right. It's Karen okay. Chang. That's what it is. Oh, cool. Um, I think she worked for Microsoft at one point and then she was like, I'm going to learn how to dance in one year. And she I think she like made videos of it every single day. Oh, yeah. Dance and in a year dot com. The three sixty five days. The video is pretty darn impressive. So but that's really cool. But I love the idea of these time constrained projects, because what I see more of is just I'm to sort of blog about this. And then yeah. you go forever. Uh, <laughs> and I like I like the the sort of constraint. Like, how much can I get done in this amount of time? Idea.
1: Well, it's, it's like when you shrink the amount of time you spend on something. So if, you know, one of the things I do, if I'm trying to crank out an article, if I'm writing words for my book, whatever, instead of scheduling like the entire morning for something, I'll say, you know, okay, I only have two hours today to crank out on my book. And what that does is that kind of, by shrinking the amount of time you spend on something, you force yourself, I think, to expend more energy over that shorter distance of time and focus more on whatever it is that you're doing. So you can get... Get it done better and faster and dive deeper into it. That's kind of the idea behind the year-long projects, too. You know, instead of saying, Okay, I'm gonna write a, a blog about productivity, just kind of generally speaking, that'll probably die off in a few weeks once you become interested in something else. But when it's kind of this this deep-rooted thing that you care about on a deeper level, and when it's limited, When when you set natural limits for what you're going to experiment with and explore, I think that forces you to do a a much better job of it. You know, I I never would have written 200 articles in a year if if I had done a part time job when I was doing it and kind of did this half assed and kind of you know explored this half time. It's it's you know diving as deep into it as I could that helped me uh, get all that done. I think.
0: Yeah. And maybe there's a an effect with some scientist's last name slapped onto the front of it for this, yeah. but I've always heard <laughs> in layman's terms that uh, work tends to fill the time allotted for it. The Pareto Principle. No, Parkinson's Law. Parkinson's Law. That's <laughs> right. I was going to say. <laughs> Parkinson's I, I Law is what it's principle. called. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true because um, I, you know, I've committed to doing one video every week, which is yeah. very, very good. I don't think I would have done any videos if I had not committed to this yeah. or far yeah. fewer, but I'll, I'll find myself... Um, you know, oh I got the whole week to do this video. And that's like it's like Friday. Yeah. And um the script's not done until Wednesday, of course. <laughs> and then like filming's not done until Wednesday afternoon. But then Thursday, I'm like, all right, this needs to go live at one. So I do a ridiculous amount of editing in like two or three hours. Yeah. Which probably should have taken me like twice that if we're being <laughs> realistic here. But it gets done because there's this ridiculous deadline on it. Yeah. And yeah, I could see that happening for a longer term goal as well. Did you set like a, a number of articles you wanted to write or was there like a certain body of work you wanted to cover?
1: My my goal was one hundred thousand words over the course of the project. Okay, and and I wrote uh, two hundred thousand words. So so that was that wow. was kind of the goal. It was kind of a process goal, in a way where the word count was you know almost more important than than what I actually produced. And maybe in a way you know looking back that was the wrong approach to take because you know of course look at the Gettysburg Address. It was you know a couple hundred words and it and it changed the course of history. You know just because because you write 200,000 words doesn't mean they're good. It's, you know, it's, it's what you accomplish at the end of the day. That's good. But that that was kind of the goal. The overarching goal that I had for the project is, you know, hit that, that word target. And, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the best goal in hindsight, but that was the one that I had.
0: Yeah. You know, I've noticed that, I don't know, at least I do. I tend to think this a lot where I'll look back at some accomplishment of mine and then I'll say, okay, I can see now this wasn't the optimal way to go about this or this wasn't the right way to like set the goal. But on the flip side of that, would I have actually gotten that thing done had I set the goal in the optimal way I thought would work better? Yeah. Or was that like, or was what I did... You know, was that what I actually needed to do to get it done for me?
1: Yeah. What I found with productivity is when you align it to what you actually want to accomplish, I find that to be the most motivating thing. Mm-hmm. And so instead of, you know, right now I'm writing a book about everything that I learned over the course of the project, but instead of saying, okay, I'm going to write 2000 words today, I'll say, okay, I'm going to finish this chapter on Turning down the distractions around you. And you know, that that kind of goal has these handles that you can grip onto instead of being this, this process goal that you have to, you know, uh, produce a certain number of words, you produce something that you're proud of. And so, you know, that that's much more process goals have their time and a place. If you make a goal, a goal, I don't box. But if, if you make a goal to win a boxing match, that doesn't really have handles that you can grip onto and kind of run with. But hmm. if you make a goal that's a process goal to you know keep your hands up throughout an entire boxing match. I know nothing about boxing, so this might not be a good that, that example is a good thing
0: to do. Yeah, <laughs> keep
1: keep your hands up for an entire boxing match and and never put them down. That that's a goal that's grippable that you can actually grab onto and move forward with.
0: Yeah. So they have a
1: time and a place, you know, the reason that video games are so stimulating is you have basically one goal after another in rapid succession, whereas, you know, the work that you do, it's not as stimulating, even though it might be more meaningful in the longer run, as opposed to playing let it go on your iPhone. You know, it's, it's (laughs) much more, it's a great game, by the way, but, but, uh, you know, that, that's why video games are so addictive and so motivating and so powerful is they have these kind of sub goals underneath the, the goal of having fun whereas work isn't necessarily like that
0: yeah and i actually just got done talking with the team over at habit rpg about oh, cool. all these little uh elements from video games that they built into the app because video oh, games man. are amazing habit building devices yeah there's all it's like i don't know maybe not research but just try it true tricks of the trade oh there's definitely research behind it it's Yeah, a lot of alliteration yeah that just goes <laughs> into it to keep people you know Playing more and playing for hours on end. Like, why would I spend hours trying to catch a rare Pokemon unless there was something right done in the design of that game?
1: Yeah, well, I saw you post a picture the other day about Pokemon Red.
0: Are you playing? We did. Yeah. Um, Are you playing? I, I like. I actually bought a copy of it. <laughs> like uh, a new copy? Not a new new copy. I bought a okay. used copy. It was like thirty bucks or something like that. Um, oh, wow. But it's sitting over there. Actually, I only bought it because then I would like not feel bad about playing the emulator. <laughs> I have actually ruined myself on Pokemon because I played the emulated version and I found a setting where you can make the speed of the game faster. Oh no! And then there's a button that says run as fast as your computer will let it, uh, which okay. essentially for that old of a game, which came out in 1996 or seven, you can essentially Very teleport fast. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and however fast you can click the button is how fast the, the messages will flash by. Yeah. So I was able to beat the game in about two hours. Oh my God. And I'm all stuck in the Dallas airport. Well, and so,
1: so much of that game
0: is walking. <laughs>
1: it is walking from like when you get the bicycle, it's like, Holy shit. I can travel 10 times as fast.
0: Yes. That's yeah, why I never bicycle. played. Wow. Because, um, people were like, yeah, you can get a Mount, but you got to wait till level 20. And I'm like, I'm not going to go through 20 so. levels of this walking <laughs> halfway across the world to kill like a boar or something. No, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, Actually, for me, the, the most frustrating part, because I, I actually got X when it came out and tried to play it on my DS. Uh, the most frustrating part is like the messages that flash during battles and stuff. They don't go fast enough that you can't just like click through them as fast as you want. You have to wait for the text to scroll too. by. And I'm just like, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, so takes I up. have ruined myself. Um, but there's definitely stuff they're doing right with the design of those games. And I just went on a tangent and I forgot what I was. <laughs> That's <laughs> so.
1: quite the tangent. Wow. <laughs> poker—that that is like a nostalgia tangent. It is a
0: nostalgia tangent. Wow. I'm going to have to figure uh, or look up that game you mentioned. What is it called? Let it go. Let it go. Yeah, yeah, it's it's riddled with ads, but it's very addictive. I think uh, version 2.0 of, of my book needs to mention that somewhere. I've already got a few goat puns in there and oh, goat man. jokes. And it, this would fit right in. It would fit right in. Yeah. I have a picture of a goat in the cover. Or at least a goat icon. <laughs> I figured it would be really easy to start the book if I had to explain why there was a goat icon on the cover. So it's well, easy to write. I put it yeah. there and then I had to, that was the way I started the book. Like, why is there a goat icon here? Well, because well, it made it easy to start.
1: <laughs> let me explain, kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah, so, oh, so what I was going to say is I think for writing a book, at least for me, the process based goal was useful. Yeah. Because I am a perfectionist. And when I set the goal of like, I need to be satisfied with a chapter on procrastination or on taking notes or something that isn't something I can tend to get done in a day because Mm. I get hung up on the perfectionism. So for me, it was actually very useful to have a habit that just said 500 words a day, no matter what even if it's crap, even if like half of it is me typing. I hate my life. I don't yeah. want to be an author anymore.
1: Well, that that's what most of my writing is. That's, that's <laughs> what my book is going to be about. It's so it's like, it's, it's like a Bart Simpson chalkboard.
0: There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm now going to buy it just to make sure that's in there. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not, I, I will just read it anyway. Yeah. But yeah, because then I, you know, I had this, it's like, it's half there already. So then like you said once the once the word count's there you can i guess go back and use those handled goal based like or end product based goals to say okay now i've got 10,000 words to work with i'm going to pare that down to be three good chapters yeah. Yeah. And at that point. And, and
1: it's- that, that varies depending on the person I think and, and the personality of the person. So some people are, you know, really into efficiency. That's something they value. And so, you know, pairing something, setting a goal of pairing something down to X number of words, this kind of process sub goal, it might work better than, you know, create a really good chapter like it, like it will with me. So it really does. I think it, you know, kind of cuts to the values of, you know, whatever you actually care about on a deeper level, whenever anybody mentions value. Values by the way, I kind of tune out, or kind of like my brain shuts off a a certain part of it because you know you hear talk about values so often, but they're they're behind pretty much everything that you do. The the reason I started the Year of Productivity project and did all these experiments and all this research, you know, just setting a sub goal wouldn't be enough to to get myself through that project. I would hate myself by the fiftieth article, let alone the two hundredth. But because it's aligned to so many things I value. You, like science, like efficiency, like accomplishment, like self-development, like, uh, like all these things that, that I ignored in the past and thought values, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I think that makes me care about it on this deeper level. And so I'm able to connect with what I do. And that's true for the goals that people set as well. You know, if you care about, you know, helping other people out more than you do about your ego, for an example, um, you know, making a goal for the day of creating the most Helpful chapter that you possibly could would accommodate what you actually value, and so you know values are something that that I'm kind of getting turned on to a bit more and more and more a, as I go through not only writing this book but just kind of living in general, doing this not not soul searching necessarily because I don't think you do you need to do that much soul searching to figure out what you value, but just actually you know thinking about. If you actually care about the things that are on your to-do list or your impossible list or, or whatever list you have or however you capture these things, whether it's a notebook or whatever, you know, actually thinking about whether you value what you're trying to accomplish is one of the best ways to actually accomplish more.
0: Yeah. And I, I totally get that. It, it's one mm-hmm. of those topics that can be very easy to sort of let your brain shut off when it's mentioned. But yeah, um, for me, you know, I started th- really thinking about my own values when i started dabbling in reading on like ai research okay because you know in ai they're trying to design like some sort of independent agent and everything that underlies the utility function of an ai is, is it's what it values you know what is uh mm. what is that sort of like different sort of agent going to value in yeah. terms of what we value yeah. and then you got to think like what do we value <laughs> so uh, yeah. i started thinking a lot more about what I valued and trying to be deliberate about that. And you're right. It it does. It does end up clarifying what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think.
1: And, and make you more motivated to actually do it when, when you kind of step back and look at your list and the projects that you're working on and the, the things on your accomplishment list and think, you know, actually, I really, really do care about a lot of these things, um, you know, maybe not all of them, but I can see the value in the ones I don't care about and the ones I do care about. You know, I'm the most motivated because of them. Uh, you know, there's there's huge value in, in kind of that. That's the thing about productivity is, you know, a lot of people equate productivity Productivity with efficiency, and I think that's a mistake. Um, I think when you equate productivity with what you accomplish, you know, that's that's the best definition of productivity out there. You know, is did you accomplish what you intended to accomplish? If you did, I think you were perfectly productive.
0: Yeah, and well, I guess if what you intended to accomplish really does play into your values, exactly. Yeah, because I think um, you know, one pitfall that I fell into with my impossible list at first was I just thought of everything that would be cool to say I did yeah like oh you know I did this and do I actually care that I did that or do I just want to be able to brag about it you know well, that's like, it's,
1: it's like waking up <laughs> early, right? So many people want to wake up early. And one of, one of the experiments I did for my project was to wake up at five 30 every morning for several months in a row. And then I realized, you know, partway through that experiment, you know, my productivity didn't benefit at all. Mm-hmm. And there's research that shows that there's no difference in socioeconomic standing between somebody who rises early and somebody who rises later. People simply like the idea that, that waking up early will make them more productive. And, and you know, it, of course, it depends on the person and the situation. If if somebody has a family or somebody has the most energy first thing in the morning, um, you know, then maybe depending on their situation, when they have the most energy or when their kids are still asleep, you know, they might be the most productive then. But mm. it's, it's sim- I, I think people simply like the idea of somebody th- some of these things, like being the guy that wakes up at 530 every morning to meditate and go yes. for a run <laughs> and read the New York Times With like a fresh French pressed cup of coffee. That that was me for the longest time until I woke up one morning and realized that waking up early was the last thing I wanted to do. You know, I would much (laughs) prefer to sleep in and rise when I naturally wanted to. So I had more energy to tackle what was important to me throughout the day. And I couldn't care less about the New York Times. Actually, that that's not something I want to be quoted on later on. (laughs) You know, I love the New York Times, but it just wasn't for me. So, you know, figuring out whether you like the idea. Of accomplishing something, or whether you actually care whether you actually give a shit about it on a deep level, is I think you know taking that step back is so crucial to to not only working more deliberately but also living more deliberately that 's one of the things I found by, w- with my project is you know productivity is almost the same thing as deliberateness. The more deliberate hmm. you are about things, the more productive you are almost always um, you know there there's a certain line that you know, will make you less productive. Like take a monk for an example, they take an hour to do, to do anything, to drink a cup of tea. And they're the most deliberate men and women on the planet. Uh, So maybe, maybe not that deliberate, but you know, probably more deliberate than surfing your smartphone on autopilot or staying constantly connected to the internet when you're writing and falling down rabbit holes of Pokemon games as the Gartnick effect, Wikipedia articles all the time, (laughs) you know, kind of, kind of taking that, creating that space and stepping, back to to do things more deliberately I think is one of the most productive things that you can do
0: yeah I think it's you know introspection is really valuable and as you get a little bit older it just I don't know you do it more and you start to find out what you what it is you do value and what you should be deliberate about yeah. as a student it was almost like I am in a video game right now and there is some overarching power that it says to do these things and I yeah. will do them because it said to And because my resume will be awesome. (laughs) And there's all this fear that authority figures will want me to do this and this and this. And then as you get older, it's like, well, those aren't actually going to make me happy. Yeah. I think there's some outside influence that has convinced me that I need to do it, but I don't think I'm actually going to care.
1: Oh, totally. Like a trap (laughs) that I fell into all the time was, you know, not... I I don't know a good way to phrase this. What I guess was thinking I had way less options than I actually did, Mm. because when you step back from whatever it is that you're doing, you don't have to do it. You have other options. But in the moment, it's easy to trick yourself into thinking you don't have options like that. That's kind of one of the things I realized when I stepped back, when I stepped back after I graduated and kind of looked at what was next. You know, I I thought, you know, okay, I have these two full time job offers and yeah, I'd I'd probably be a, a little bit. Of a fool if I decline them, uh, but you know maybe maybe it would be worth crunching the numbers a little bit and, and figuring out whether this is something that would be a valuable for me in the future and b to get back to the values meaningful for me in the future and I realized that you know it would be both it, it would yeah. produce this incredible return like here we are talking right now and that that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't decline those two jobs I'd be working at at some big company somewhere and, and so. I think we 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 trick ourselves into thinking we only have a few options, like whether it's staying together with your partner or you know, something as simple as that or, you know, buying a house or what apartment to get or whatever decision that you're making. When you step back from it, you pretty much always have more options than you trick yourself into thinking you do, including, you know, attending college in the first place is something as yeah. simple as that. Just saying no to certain commitments. Commitments and certain friendships that aren't really bringing you any meaning in your life, you know, you have more options than than you think you do.
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, and we tend to think that like everything is riding on this one thing. Sometimes, oh, yeah. Do so you totally. listen to uh, do you listen to other podcasts at all? Yeah, I do. Do you listen to Hardcore History, with Dan I Hall? do not. I uh, do not. You should. He's it's good. Uh, I will. I will. I will take myself down a notch because his show is unequivocally better than mine and probably the best podcast out there that I've it's very different it's he basically does audio books in podcast form oh wow like every episode is whenever you think your
1: podcast is the best podcast out there it's probably not
0: that's probably true yeah Yeah. I think when if you ever think that you're the best at anything you probably are not unless you I don't know have like the world record for deadlifting or something then maybe you can say (laughs) equivocally
1: either you're wrong or you're
0: (laughs) a huge douchebag one (laughs) of the exactly (laughs) But especially for creative things like you, you are not the best ever. No, Um, you can let other people say you are. But if you say you are, then you're probably not. Uh, But I I will probably say that Dan Carlin is one of the best podcasters out there. And he has like a mini show, which means it's two hours instead of like 20. (laughs) About um, the Cold War. And I guess like all these ideas that fluctuated around with the Red Scare and everything. But one point that he makes is that. People who are living through history do not have the the luxury of looking back on it in hindsight. And it is almost like we are watching a football game that was taped and we already know what the outcome was. And the people at the time are they have bet their entire life savings and the bookies will be coming after them and they're watching it live. It's (laughs) it's that kind of
1: that rose tinted glasses effect, right? Where where vacations are never perfect when you're on them, but you remember them as perfect. It's kind of the, it's kind of the same idea with history, I think. Yes.
0: (laughs) But also we're able to look back with, I guess, a more impassive uh, look at it, I guess, you know, lens. Yeah. And we can do that with our own lives too. You know, like you're at this position now and you could look back two years and say, oh, I had 10 other options. And I thought everything was riding on that one job opportunity. Yeah. You know, and I could have done X, Y, and Z instead. So, and I think the the more that you do this and then when you look back and, and review what you've done in the past, the more you realize that maybe certain decisions you're looking at right now are not the only things you have available to you.
1: Yeah. A couple of years ago, this is one of my favorite stories. I, I don't share it with too many folks, but, uh, my girlfriend and I were falling asleep and, you know, I was trying to make a decision of, should I start this project? Should I take one of these jobs? Which one of these jobs should I take? I feel so lost. You know, that's what I was thinking in my head. And she, you know, as I was falling asleep, she just kind of turned to me and said, you know, you're, you're not as lost as you think you are. And I, I think that, that advice just kind of struck me that there was a chance that other people felt the same way that I did about the problems that I was facing or the choices that, that I was facing in the first place. So that's, you know, I think that's something to keep in mind too. You know, there, there are more options than you think there are and having so many options and so many choices pr- probably isn't anything that's unique to you. It's, it's unique to pretty much everybody.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I, I like what you said about other people also feeling lost. I think there's yeah. this, this this tendency to feel like at all times we are behind of everyone else. Maybe oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> but everyone else hasn't figured out because we can't feel their worry. We can only feel yeah. ours.
1: Uh, I, I have this. <laughs> I have this big book deal right now with Penguin Random House. It's you know I think the largest trade publisher on the planet, and it's this huge book deal to write this book for them. You know, it's incredible. It's it's what the project I would hoped would lead to after I finished it. Uh, you know I, I had no idea it would be with with this large publisher. But the the first thing I said to myself after I got it was like, dude, you're a fraud. Like there <laughs> there are people who who work their entire lives you know exploring a topic. Topic, who have been working decades, who, you know, I felt like it was handed to me and like I didn't deserve it. And there's this self-talk that goes on in your head all day, um, you know, about pretty much everything. When, when the New York Times interviewed me about my project, when I was invited to do a TEDx talk, when Ted interviewed me about my project, you know, this same kind of self-talk suddenly appeared out of nowhere. And <clears throat> I, I like to think I have a pretty good handle on on the thoughts in my brain. I meditate for half an hour every day, but yet the These thoughts kind of bubbled up out of, out of thin air. But there's, I I encountered a study, one of the folks I interviewed for my project, his name is David Allen. He wrote a book called Mm. Getting Things Done. And he, he said in the interview, I don't know where the stat came from, but that this science, the brain science shows that 80% of your self-talk, this dialogue that you have with yourself throughout the day is negative, 80%, more than 50. That's that's an insane number, I think. And it's yeah. it's too damn high as the yep, red dude. guy would say. It's you know, it's <laughs> it's this it's and it's this human kind of condition that we all have. We all have, it's called an intra, I think it's called intrapersonal communication. We have this negative dialogue that occurs in our brain, uh, you know, throughout the day, but just simply recognizing it as just being a part of uh, a thinking and breathing human and that not a sign that you're lost or that you don't have any choices is one of, one of the most productive things you can do. And I I don't talk about this stuff too much, uh, this kind of stuff too much on my site. I like to take a more kind of practical approach. And when Whenever somebody hears the word self-talk, you know they kind of tune out. It's kind of like values in a way. Mm. Um, It's kind of hippy dippy. It has a PR problem. But I think you know, kind of getting a a grasp on that is one of the most productive things you can do because that—that's. That, that dialogue will prevent you from taking on huge ass goals in the first place. Yeah. And it'll prevent you from bringing your all to your work because you'll feel like you're a fraud or not good enough. I still feel like a fraud, <laughs> even though I'm, you know, halfway through writing this book, but I know it's my chance to just write the, the best productivity book that I possibly can that could hopefully entertain and help out a lot of people. And so, you know, kind of getting a, a grasp on that, that intrapersonal, uh, communication is a huge thing. I think you can do too.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I have this have you exact, had that? Have totally you had that? dude. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I got asked to go on national television. I was on Fox business and leading up to the interview the day of in, in the, the week before, uh, there was this voice in the back of my head that was like, cancel it. They're yeah. going to <clears throat> dig up something and tell you you're a fraud. Or tell you that, like, you're doing this wrong and you're terrible and you should never give advice again, even though... Or you're going to freeze up. Yeah. You're going to go
1: on TV and you're going to not know what to say. Uh, You're just going to stand there staring into the camera and you can visualize this (laughs) stuff too. Like it's not only a voice, it's images too that come up and you can see yourself on live TV and the YouTube clips that, that come up after just staring into the camera. Uh, You know, I've, I've had this happen a few times, not, not freezing up, but, but this kind of dialogue that, that occurred before like speaking stuff, uh, you know, speaking in front of groups of people going on TV
0: Yeah, it's It's normal, dude. Um, So that one's not too much of a problem for me. For me, it's always the fear that I'm going to put myself out there and then people are going to like not like it or think that it was bad or like harmful. Like every time I get a new idea for a YouTube video, the immediate thought is, oh, people already know that. Like people have already heard of that because my circle of influence is people who are smarter than me for a lot of part. Like if I tell you about something, you're like, oh, I heard about that, you know, two years ago. But in every YouTube comment, it's like, oh, thank you so much. I've never heard of this, 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 and this. So I just need to get over it. Um, But I do have this thing that I like to call the Netflix rule. Okay. Where, because when I was a student, I would get really, really um, afraid of talking to people who are important because I was like, why would they ever want to give me the time of the day? They're obviously alien space robots who are perfect (laughs) and I'm just this lowly human. So... Uh, After a few times talking to important people or, or slightly famous people, I realized that they're nice people. They're not weird aliens who hate me. So what I call the Netflix rule is basically this mental affirmation that no matter how famous or awesome or amazing a person is, they are probably going to go home, you know, at least one point this week and watch Netflix just like I do. Yeah. And I mean, you could replace that with anything like sleep or pick their nose or whatever. They're going to do some weird thing that I I'm do as picking well.
1: picking my nose right now. There you go. <laughs> no. So
0: there's no reason for me to get scared and choked up uh, or freeze when I'm talking to them or doing some some very public scary thing because the person I'm talking to or all the people that, I'm, that are watching me, they're all people, too. They have their own problems. No matter how famous they are, they go home at night and they eat the same kind of food and they watch Netflix. I love that rule, man. So that helps massively with the nervousness of doing the performance. I still struggle with the fear that it's going to be received negatively. And I just, I think you just kind of have to do it. And I don't know, even after like, you probably know this yourself, even after years of good feedback and lots of projects published, the fear is still there. So it's just something you have to live with.
1: Oh, precisely. Yeah. You know, I I get, you know, a a few hundred emails a day from folks and, you know, there's even though one or two of them might be negative, you know, that's the one that that I think about Mm -hmm. and that I think about as I fall asleep. And that kind of feeds the internal dialogue that I have inside (laughs) of my head. And it's normal. We we evolved to survive today because we can perceive threats in our environment. And it's just an evolutionary extent or an extension of that, you know, it's simply human nature to have this dialogue and to see these threats and to focus on the negative things sometimes, even, even when that might not necessarily be productive. And just simply recognizing that as part of the human condition is one of, you know, one of the best things you can do. Uh, it's, it's, it's like that limbic system that, that I mentioned earlier on, you know, that, that contains your pleasure center and your fear center, your limbic system is this emotional, part of your brain and it's millions of years old. It's evolved over millions of years. We share it with reptiles. We share it with animals of all sorts of everything. (laughs) And we also have, of course, this prefrontal cortex in our brain. And that's the logical part of our brain that, that kind of combats that limbic system. So, so when we procrastinate for an example, you know, your limbic system is fueled up and it says, no, I don't want to do, do this report. I want to watch Netflix because that's more stimulating that's more pleasurable. And then your, your prefrontal cortex is kind of fighting the opposite battle. And it's saying like, no, dude, we have to, we have to write this report. It's due then. This is how we're going to do it. This is my plan to do it. And these two parts of the brain are fighting against each other throughout the day. And they're connected they're plugged in to one another directly i i, I think Um, some sort of loop in your brain. I forget what it's called. But, you know, kind of recognizing that that self-talk and the way your brain is structured in the first place, I think, can can help you recognize something like procrastination as just, oh, that's my limbic system telling me that I should watch Netflix instead of, you know, writing this report or writing my book or doing this interview or planning for this and simply recognizing these things, recognizing the self-talk as being a natural construct of your brain that that's evolved for millions of years, recognizing procrastination as this instinctual part of your brain, overpowering the logical part of your brain and really kind of thinking your way out of procrastination, you know, kind of recognizing the way your brain is built is, is I keep saying one of the best things you can do, but it's a pretty good thing you can (laughs) do for your productivity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the logical part of your brain, likes to categorize things and label things so if you can give it some like feel for the fire to do that with your own problems you know i've noticed that learning about a lot of cognitive biases and and social problems that people generally have knowing what those are helps me to identify them when they happen during arguments or if somebody's like sad for some reason i can go oh you know that's what's happening right there and There's no reason for me to be mad at it. It's a perfectly normal part of life and I can respond in a better way.
1: All, all that stuff, yeah, learning all that stuff and learning how your brain is built, all this gives your prefrontal cortex, the logical part of your brain, ammunition to fight against your limbic system whenever that's fighting for you to, you know, eat the cheesecake or, mm. you know, go home with your secretary or whatever your, <laughs> whatever your your uh, pleasurable temptation is, you know, having that ammunition, you know, one of the things, and this is what the studies show about one of the best things you can do in order to be. procrastinating. Procrastination is to simply list the costs out of procrastinating with something. And so write down what you're procrastinating on and make a list of every single cost that putting that off will have for you. And what that does is in your brain, if you were to look at a brain scan of somebody who's doing this, their prefrontal cortex will be fired up. And just activated when their limbic system would be in this, you know, kind of low state of activity. If you looked at the blood flow of the brain of somebody who was doing that. And so finding ways to kind of ignite your prefrontal cortex is, is, oh, I was going to say it again. It's going to say it. One of the it, best one,
0: things that you can do.
1: Oh, it sounds so corny. <laughs> I sound like such a, oh my God. It's a rich kid. T- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's a good hack. It's a good productivity <laughs> hack.
0: Today, you're going to learn the ticks. tips, tricks, and hacks. There are 20 amazing ways to become more productive with Chris (laughs) Bailey. Did you ever write an article named that? No, no. (laughs) No.
1: I did do I did do an article. Actually, uh, it was it was shared out a lot of places. I think a few hundred thousand folks checked it out about the 100 best uh, things that I discovered over the course of my project, and it it's like. I think, I think people would, would benefit from checking it out Uh, because it links to like a hundred articles that I wrote. It's not like a hundred tips in and of itself.
0: So it's just like a good, uh, starting point point. basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I have a couple of questions. Sure. Number one, you said you meditate for half an hour a day. Yeah. I meditate for three minutes a day and even that is difficult. So, are yeah. you meditating in a different way than I do, nope. or are you doing it like, are you just uh, some sort of Zen monk? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I meditate. I
1: practice vipassana meditations. So it's it's this mindfulness of of breathing, and I simply focus on my breath for for half an hour every day. and And that's not something I just started doing. I've been doing it for I think five or six years. It started with my first yoga class. I forget when the hell that was, but it was back in high school. I think in my first or second year of of high school, I took I signed up for a yoga class, and I thought this would be a an amazing way to meet some chicks. And, and then <laughs> then our teacher. She ran this kind of five minute meditation. Have you ever done a yoga class? No, I haven't. Oh, dude, you have to they, they do this five minute meditation at the end and it's just a simple thing where you lay down on your mat and concentrate on your breathing sometimes do a scan of of how you're feeling and various parts of your body working from the tip of your head down to the tips of your toes and it was one of the most relaxing things I had ever done and that's not that's not all that's it, it's it's that's a bit different from the type of meditation I do today I simply have right now I, I have a broken ankle so I have to meditate laying down but I have a meditation cushion right next to my desk actually right next to my desk there's a weight set and a meditation cushion so I can work out my mind and my body whenever I'm not working at working at the computer and I simply sit down and I observe the ebbs and flows of my breath and when my mind wanders to focus on something else I gently rein it back in and you know it, that i 've been slowly building up from that five minute meditation I did several years back at that first yoga class uh, to today uh, sitting for half an hour every day and it 's you know to be honest it 's one of the best things you can do for your productivity, Thomas,
0: <laughs> well, I will have to see if I could build that up
1: <laughs> this This episode has to be titled something like one of the best things like the I best thing
0: you can do for your Productivity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It I'm has doing to it. be that. All yeah, right. showtime. <laughs> Um, so, so it, it didn't happen like overnight. You can't just suddenly meditate for half an hour because because yeah. a day will come when you don't have a half an hour or when your mind is resisting the idea of meditating for half an hour, and you're going to stop. You're, you're going to break the chain. Um, So you know it's slowly built up over time. There are some days when I don't feel like meditating for half an hour, and what I do, and this is one of my favorite techniques if somebody's just starting out with the practice, is I shrink the amount of time I'm going to meditate for in my head until I no longer feel resistance to the practice. And so I'll start off with 30 minutes. If I don't feel like meditating one day, I'll say 30 minutes, eh, it's too long. What about 25 minutes? No, I'm still feeling resistance to that. What about 20 minutes? No, I still thought of it puts me off. What about 15 minutes? Eh, we're getting better, almost there. What about 10 minutes? So, okay, I can do 10 minutes of meditation today. And then I meditate for 10 minutes and usually end up doing it longer than that by the time I kind of get into that flow and over that hurdle of resistance to to the practice and, and so th- that, that's something I do some days but most days I, I sit for 30 minutes
0: okay yeah and that's uh similar to like with Pomodoro's it's just a good way to get started on a big project because you're telling yourself I'm just going to work for 25 minutes you can do
1: anything for and 25 minutes
0: keep doing it after that you know often you're just like you're in the flow state at that point yeah for me um uh, my morning routine is about two hours long and that's like Holy shit, what are you doing um. What I do is, and actually, I've had to. I pared it down a little bit in a couple of weeks because I went to New York and then I went to a different city, and my morning routine got totally derailed. Yeah. So I talked to the founders of Habit RPG, and they were like, "Define some essential ones. Tell yourself you can do those, and then like re-enable all of them as you move forward." But before the trip, for about three months straight, I did. I woke up at six brush my teeth, drink a glass of water, take my vitamins. I meditate for three minutes and then do a seven minute workout. So it's like a 10 minute mind body block. Yeah. And then like check my calendar, make a day plan. I read 15 pages, make and eat breakfast while watching crash course on YouTube. Go for a mile walk. Dude, that's awesome. And then I think that's, that's the whole thing, but it takes about two hours. Yeah. uh, To do the whole thing. And for me, it's like, I need to start working by eight. So that two hour, block of morning stuff is perfect part of it is relaxing like in the front of the computer with my coffee finishing yeah. some youtube videos but um for that reason the the meditation past three minutes is very tough and what i do is i try to do the same thing you do i focus on my breath i don't use headspace or calm or anything like that not yeah. that there's anything wrong with them well oh, those, are, those want, are great
1: apps yeah but i
0: want focus on one thing yeah so I actually like picture myself in a field and then like my breath is like the wind blowing in different directions cool and it takes a lot of mental you're like pocahontas i am like pocahontas i do have a little native american in me so do you yeah (laughs) just a bit yeah um it's like i don't know it's mentally taxing i find that the visualization actually makes it tougher to distract myself yeah but doing it longer than three minutes is very tough and i'm just like come on timer ring (laughs) yeah do you use a timer for yours or do you just kind of know that half an hour has passed
1: I use a timer, but I usually have a timer that counts upwards instead oh, okay. of downwards. So then I'm not always on edge kind of thinking about when when the timer is going to ring. OK, Th- then I kind of have this open ended space where, you know, if, if I feel like really resistant to the practice, maybe I can force myself to sit for a bit longer. But it, it's it's like. I think that I think a big mistake uh, I see a lot of people making when it comes to meditation is they don't take it easy on themselves in, mm-hmm. in the in the practice. Every time their mind wanders to think about something else, you know, they think, like, Geez, come on, focus on the breath. Come on. What are you doing? But th- that's counterproductive at the end of the day, because you just end the session feeling like just terrible. If you if you kind of see that your mind wanders as just a part of the way your brain is built. That's yeah. simply how your brain is built to to wander around to different things, and then you see okay <laughs> I, I usually laugh I, I usually laugh a little bit. it might look a bit funny if you're watching me meditate, but I, I laugh to myself a little bit whenever I see my brain venture off to somebody because i somewhere or somebody <laughs> um, <laughs> I think about you a lot when I meditate Thomas nice uh, w- whenever I see it venture off to somewhere, I kind of laugh because I see it as part of the way my brain is built, uh, but you know bringing it back is one of the most, uh, Productive things you can do, <laughs> and and there's a reason for that, and it goes back to the your prefrontal cortex and your limbic system. Is you know I I, th- I really think there's this kind of attention muscle in your brain, and I've come across a lot of neuroscience lately that that backs this up. That every time you bring your attention back to focus on your breath and observe your mind wandering as part of the meditation process, it, it's then then it becomes fun for. One, because mm. you kind of laugh at your, the way your brain is structured while you kind of build up your attention muscle. And every time you bring it back, you kind of build your prefrontal cortex up that much more. So it has even kind of more ammunition. Uh, I don't like the word ammunition, but kind of more, more resistance to, to whatever it is that your limbic system wants to throw at you over the course of the day. So it's, it's this way of building up this attention muscle. Not only they bring more focus on whatever it is that you're working on when you're not meditating, but also to, to dive into it deeper and yeah. at the same time.
0: Yeah. I found that even, even three minutes helps me with just general focus. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you've heard of lift or Coach.me me now, right? Yeah. So I talked to Tony, the founder, and he was kind of the guy that got me turned on to meditation. Oh, and cool. that's what he told me. He's like, don't worry about the fact that your mind is going to wander because it will like guaranteed just worry, just like focus on the act of bringing it back to the focus point yeah. from that wandering point. And that's what you're going to get the benefit from.
1: Yeah. You know, three minutes, two minutes, even one minute. Um, I was interviewing for my book, Cheryl Salzberg. She's this, I feel like I'm name dropping a lot on this pod. Please stop me the (laughs) the next time. But she's a fascinating woman. She's one of the, one of the people who in the sixties and seventies brought the practice of meditation and Buddhism to North America. So she's this fascinating well of information. And, you know, she said when I was chatting with her, um, we might have even been in, in New York at the same time because I was chatting with her there Uh, she, she mentioned you know folks ask her how long they should meditate for every day and she just asked them how long do you have if you have, you know, just a few minutes every day, that's perfect. If you only have, you know, 10 minutes or five minutes, that's that's a perfect amount of time as long as you have that consistent practice from day to day. You know, meditating for five minutes every day is better than meditating on Sunday for two hours. It's, it's yeah. the, having that consistent kind of vitamin in, of mindfulness and focus every single day that'll help you
0: out. Yeah, that makes sense because you're trying you're, you're cultivating an ability you have to use every day. Yeah, So you might as well practice that every day.
1: And, and that goes back to the deliberateness, too, is moving at this slower pace doesn't mean you'll accomplish less. You'll probably do less, but you'll accomplish more because you'll spend your time on the right things. That, mm. That's what productivity is all about. It's about this deliberateness. And it's so much easier to be deliberate when you're mindful. Fact, yeah. that, that's that's the definition of mindfulness.
0: Dude, I feel like mindfulness is like you mentioned a topic earlier in this conversation, that's like too wishy-washy and like values. I think it was like, it's not yeah. prescriptive enough to where people like latch onto it. Cause I think as doesn't have as a it. society, we are always on the lookout for like an app we can plug into and get <laughs> X result right now. Yeah. Like to go back to the Pokemon analogy, I want an X speed right now because I want a drug to boost my performance immediately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but mindfulness I think is very similar because people kind of hear it and they go, are you some sort of hippie or something? And I wish I could find a way to put it in more like concrete, definite terms, because I I just view it as being aware of what you value and what dependencies your life has. And
1: that's, that's exactly what it is. It's just taking a step back and, and seeing, I, and this might speak to the kind of the Buddhist in me, but, but right now there's, there's an apple in front of me. And, you know, when you're mindful of that apple, when, when, when you're eating it, first of all, you notice all the flavors of the apple, instead of spreading your attention across 10 things, you're focusing on one thing. So you can enjoy it that much more, but it also lets you see the interconnectedness of things. Uh, So, you know, if you're mindful about an apple, you might see the farmer that, that, pick the apple from the tree or the machine that picked the apple from the tree and put it into a basket and the trucks that transported the apple from wherever it was growing to you and the sun that, that rained down on the apple and the rain that came down on the apple tree that, that allowed it to come into life because at one time there wasn't an apple and now there is an apple in front of you. And it got to that point because of a series of events that transpired in your life is the same way. And productivity is the same way. Every single thing that has ever been ever is just simply cause and effect. Everything is cause and effect. And if you can see the relationships between these different things that occur in your life with your productivity, um, in, that, that's one of the things. It sounds like I'm smoking crack right now, I realize. <laughs> but, but that was one of the things that I realized during my project is you know, it was very much a year of maybe not necessarily productivity, but it was a year of connecting dots to what I actually cared about and what I valued. So things that helped me manage my time better and manage my energy better and manage my attention better. I see those the three things as the three ingredients of productivity, you know, anything that helped me accomplish that goal, I thought made me more productive. And, and it was very much a process of connecting the dots, whether it was with the experiments, with the science I researched, with the, with the people I interviewed during the project, or just simply, you know, kind of wandering around. You know, I, I would often go to the art gallery in Ottawa to, to let my mind wander to these different connections between these ideas. And you know, I think that's, it's an incredibly powerful thing that you can can do to see how things are connected. That's what your mind is built for. You know, we, we were talking earlier about kind of getting these open loops. The there's effect idea that getting these open loops out of your head and into some external system that you trust is one of, you know, you know, you know what it's one of it's, it, it's, it's this incredibly powerful thing that you can do. And, you know, kind of creating that mental space, that attentional Space that lets you focus more on things. Mindfulness is a way of doing that. Reducing how much you take on in the first place so you can work on the best things is a way of doing that. Uh, Externalizing these ideas out of your head is a way of doing that. Letting your mind wander is a way of doing that. There's been a lot of neurological studies that show that your brain can form deeper connections when it's wandering and when it's processing mm-hmm. things in the background versus when it's focusing its rapt attention on something you can only keep about four things in your mental consciousness at one time but your mind is this you know it's like an iceberg i forget i think like 10 per an iceberg sits on top of water and your mind is the same way the brain scans that have been done on people who you know there, there's a fascinating one i encountered the other day uh actually not the other. Uh, this is one of my favorite studies on that's been conducted about the brain. And what they did is they they wanted a team of researchers, they wanted to ask people to pick the best car out of four cars. And so what they did is they divided the the students or whoever produced participated in the research into two groups. Um, and the first group was given four attributes per car. So a total of 16 attributes. And the second group was given 16 attributes per car um, for a total of I think, uh, you know, whatever 16 times four is. And and so what they did is they, again, divided those two groups into two groups because researchers are a tricky bunch. And they then gave half of those people a four minute math problem to solve that required all their focus. And they gave the other people, you know, four minutes to focus really, 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 really deeply on which car was best. Hmm. And of the original two groups, I hope I'm doing an okay job of explaining this. Of course, you know, the people who only had four attributes per car for a total of 16 attributes, you know, they, they did a, they did a good job of, they did a much better job when they had a lot of focus to dedicate to it. But things got interesting. I think it was 12 attributes when, when people received 12 attributes per car for a total of 48 attributes, they found that when people focused intently on. on on this math problem or a word scramble problem during that time, they outperformed the other group by about three times, Really, even though their conscious mind was focusing on this, on this problem with seemingly all of their attention, their unconscious mind, the the part of the, the part that's below the surface of the water was still chewing away at this problem. And a few years, several years after that study was conducted, other researchers, another team of researchers at Carnegie Mellon conducted that exact same study. They gave them a math problem. And they looked at what happened inside of the brain when that when that condition of people that were, didn't have the attributes to analyze in front of them were given a math problem and they saw that you know of course the um, the they, they were told to memorize a series of numbers and of course the, the parts of their brain that memorize numbers were fired up because they are memorizing numbers but also they found that their prefrontal cortex is the part that of your brain that thinks deeply about things was fired up at the same time it was processing this information in the background and the research shows doing a substantial better job of it a very, very significantly better job of it, um, by, compl- by analyzing these complex problems in the background. And so your brain is this incredible machine. It never stops thinking, even though when you think it does. Um, so that again, that's why mindfulness is so important because it gives you this attentional space to let your mind background process, whatever it happens to be chewing on in the moment, even though you might not be conscious of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the concept of like focused versus diffuse thinking yeah i think it was i've I read about it in a book i want to say it was called a mind for numbers and it's about how to learn math um which i haven't finished reading yet. but it, it, well, that,
1: the, the neuroscience behind it, it shows that, that your brain has two modes, that it seesaws between throughout the day, and it can't be in both at once. There's the, there's the really you know, focusing on something mode, and there's the mind-wandering mode where you're kind of daydreaming. It's also called daydreaming mode. And yeah. you know, the, the problem is people spend too much time in the central executive mode, in, in the mode where they're just always thinking about something. You know, the average person spends, I think I read a stat, 444 minutes every day in front of screens, you know, our lives in a certain way, uh, at least for a lot of us, including for me have basically devolved to looking at a series of shiny rectangles of various (laughs) sizes. But when you step back and, you know, kind of let your mind wander and maybe even I dare you to become bored every once in a while, yeah. and let your mind wander, you'll form these deeper connections. And, you know, even though your brain is always thinking about things in the background, you'll actually create the attentional space for these ideas to bubble up to the surface, and then you can capture them in the yeah. notepad next to the book you're reading.
0: Do you, uh, do you know what a perplexus is? No. Have you seen it? It's like this uh, spherical puzzle. And there's like this crazy sequence of paths and weird obstacles inside of it. And you have to like maneuver a tiny steel ball across all of them. It's very easy for it to fall off. Uh, I have on top of my bookshelf and I just often grab it and just do it to think. Yeah. Because I think about that a lot. We do stare at screens all day long, all the time. And then we get off work and go stare at more screens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's it's it's, kind of sad. I'm trying you know, to play wh- whatever games, it Whatever
1: pays. your method is, like as long as I think as long as you flip into that mode, you know, in my project, when I was thinking deep about these productivity ideas and writing about them, uh, when I was preparing for uh, the TED talk, I was going to give all these things. You know, I may I carved out the time to put my mind in this mode, in this secondary mode, whether it was, you know, doing a yoga class or or meditating or, you know, I've heard from a lot of people gardening works really, mm. really well for them. Them. or you know knitting i i some of my friends like a lot of them are dudes they they're taking up knitting because this is it's this kind of weird way of maybe it's like a hipster thing unfortunately uh, the hipsters <laughs> are, are onto this trend but but it's this way of of keeping your hands busy while your mind is wandering around to various concepts and ideas and connecting dots dude that that makes sense when, when einstein for an exam reading a biography on einstein when he had a uh, tough nut that he was trying to crack he would play the violin that was his thing whenever he you know he didn't know it at the time because the science didn't exist yet but he was letting his mind wander and connect these really really deep ideas that allowed him to jump from thought experiments to
0: theories that changed science i wonder if he got that from conan doyle I don't know. I was, Cause I was about to say, Oh, that's where Sherlock got that or like Sherlock Holmes does that. I but I think those were written before Einstein was. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not born, but famous. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, you did the year. Is there anything like radical that you've learned since completing that, that has helped you become more productive?
1: It's, it's the deliberateness. Okay. I think that, that was kind of, you know, when I'm, Excuse me, stepping back from from the project, you know, when you're kind of inside of it, it's hard to have have this perspective on on what it was like, but I'm finding that looking back on it, <clears throat> that that deliberateness angle, and that's an angle that I'm taking with the book that I'm writing about the project is, you know, taking that step back to be deliberate about what you want to become more productive on in the first place is, you know, insanely powerful instead, because a lot of people, they say, I'm really into productivity these days and they download a a billion different apps and and they just kind of dive deeper into their work. But I think the opposite approach is the right approach to take, you know, figuring out a what's, what's impactful in your work, what your 80, 20 tasks are, for example, um, and B what's actually meaningful in your work that, that contributes a lot to you personally. Um, you know, that, that's kind of one of the bigger things that I learned that, that a lot of these lessons that I learned, these micro lessons, productivity lessons I learned in my project kind of fall under the umbrella of. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a, one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the past year as well, because a lot of my life has been chasing cars basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with one when I got it, <laughs> chase it anyway. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Cool. It's, well, it's
0: having It's having that meaning behind things that that's it's huge. Yeah. And I think the big thing is like, I've been being very deliberate, sp- um, specifically about living in the moment, yeah. Because it's so easy when you're doing the kind of work that we do to, to like discount or to like put all the happiness in a future point. And, uh, that usually never comes once you hit that future point, you make new future points. So yeah. I try and, to and that's, say that,
1: that's a pro, That's a huge trap people fall into with, with productivity, especially right. But you know, it's somehow I've found this kind of balance point where I'm always like, I always find ways to cultivate my happiness, but at the same time, try to find ways to not always be satisfied. And and Mm. I think that's a cool space to be because you're constantly becoming better, but you're always happy at the same time.
0: Yeah. I really like that. Really do. One of the biggest, I was always afraid of like resting on my laurels and getting complacent, I guess. Yeah. I was afraid that I would graduate and then just watch TV after work. (laughs) So I I do want to be uncomfortable and be striving forward to achieve something at all times. But at the same time, like you said, there's got to be some aspect of your life where you're satisfied and happy and present. And otherwise it's, what's the point? Exactly. Cool. So, uh, I think one of the best things that you can do for productivity (laughs) (laughs) would be to go and, uh, read more of Chris's work. So, Hey man, where can people go to find your work? oh man they can go to a life um, of productivity.com so it's no longer a year of productivity
1: no 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 because I want to keep writing about this stuff and I right. have this book coming out so so I pivoted it I think in marketing they call it pivot I pivoted my mm-hmm. hashtag brand to be a life of productivity <laughs> brand is my least favorite word uh, maybe maybe synergy is a bit worse than the word brand but, is, but brand is, is pretty bad too um, <laughs> so, so it's a life of Okay. Um, everything's there it's totally free there's no ads there's no sponsorships there's no anything like that because um, I want people to to check out what I've made and, and spread it to other people and maybe buy my book if they find what I made valuable. The book is coming out in maybe late this year, maybe early next year. Uh, yeah. We we might. It was originally scheduled for March of next year. That's what we were thinking of. But I'm I'm flying through the manuscript at this rate. So at this rate, we might be able to push it out sooner to help folks out. Uh, maybe maybe late this year. We're still kind of hitting the drawing board with that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, a life of com. If, if people want to check me out on Twitter, I don't, I only, usually these days I only tweet when I have a new post coming out. It's a L O productivity. Cool. Um, and my personal account is at wiggle chicken. And so you can check me out there.
0: That's where you tweet about how you're wearing the same clothes that I'm wearing.
1: We yeah that. That was so weird.
0: <laughs> yeah. There, there's the a picture uniform. It,
1: Yeah, the official uniform of bloggers everywhere. It's a black. uh, If you go through the pictures on my Twitter profile or probably yours, too, if you go to Twitter dot (laughs) com slash wiggle chicken and look through the pictures, if you actually just tweeted about 10 pictures of of Stephen Harper he's the Canadian Prime Minister playing with kittens because he has all these kitten kitten pictures for some reason and so I posted all those so you might have to dive through those (laughs) but once you wade through the Stephen Harper kitten pictures you'll get to two pictures and one is of you wearing a blue male chimp shirt with a black pullover sweater on top of it (laughs) and the next picture is of me wearing a blue male chimp shirt with a black sweater on top but we were in the exact same thing that day
0: great minds man uncanny great minds, <laughs> indeed so i i was trying to think like what do i do because you said you were like chewing on one of those clips or something yeah uh i tend to chew on my mustache which is worse oh i do that too and then it goes away
1: the the oh the <laughs> overhang
0: yep right oh i i cut that off with scissors like i'm i'm like ocd with it because oh, if there's wow. one little tiny hair that goes over i will chew it off and then like accidentally pull too much out
1: <laughs> so do you push it do you push it down with your finger and then uh, chew?
0: yes what's your method? Ma- okay that's your method yeah that, that's and, my method and i need to figure out how, like how to stop it so i've just like been trying to build little mental pointers to remind <laughs> myself like be present hey stop doing that because uh i was a nail biter for years and yeah, I didn't even want to quit. And then my girlfriend's been trying to get me to quit for so long. And then one day she like sent me all this research and she's like, here's why nail biting's bad and, and you're going to get diseases and stuff. And I'm like, fine.
1: There's worms that grow under your fingernails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like fine. And overnight I quit nail biting and I haven't bitten my nails ever since that, nice. that uh, day. Um, just
1: r- rub your mustache with balsamic vinegar. Everywhere. There we go. Cayenne go.
0: pepper in there and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've thought about just like cutting it off. <laughs> but I don't know. I just don't, I don't want to rock the Lucas Lee look right now. Nobody does. I was doing it for a while, but I like the mustache now. So yeah,
1: it it completes the beard. It does. Without a mustache, a beard is nothing in my opinion. That's just an opinion, but it's one of the best things you can do. I think for your face, just the best thing you
0: can do. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for coming to the show, man. Thanks for having me. I hope, I hope folks find that valuable.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you got something useful out of that interview with Chris. I know I did. Obviously, I started out the the podcast with a selfish question problem of my own, and I got a good solution. So hopefully you found something of a similar nature. If you want to find the show notes to this episode, CIGpodcast.com is where you'll find the entire podcast listing for every episode I've done and episode 59 we'll kick you over to those links to all the things we mentioned and you can also find ways to subscribe to the show if you haven't already and also leave a review and rating on iTunes or wherever you listen that really helps the podcast out it sort of bumps it up the rankings and helps more people see it which makes me happy and gets this information out to new people so do that if you're so inclined and uh, also if you've got questions or have new topics you would like to see covered on the YouTube channel or this podcast or maybe even an article once in a while then Uh, I'm Thomas at collegeinfogeek.com, and I would be happy to uh, take that information and sort of plug it into my brain and make something cool out of it. So, um, yeah, I guess one other thing I'll say is my room is finally complete, it's put together. And if you want to see the new backdrop for the videos that I constructed, which I think is 10 times better than the old one. It's much more planned out. And I had to teach myself how to use a level and painter's tape and all sorts of fun little things. Uh, check out the YouTube channel. It's collegeinfogeek.com slash videos. And uh, we are, I think on we're on track to pass 20,000 subscribers this week. So things are really ramping up. Never saw it coming, but it's really fun. And I'm going to keep it going. And if you enjoy the videos, check them out. Also, if you want to find my favorite resources for students and places to find cheap textbooks, productivity tools, all that good stuff, they're over at collegeinfogeek.com resources. And that's all I got for this episode. So thanks for listening. See you next week and stay cute. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.